This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Over Under Movies and all other playlist podcast programs are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Movies film experts handpick every film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Plans start as low as $5.99 a month. Visit MUBI.com slash the playlist to start a special 30-day free trial. Movies current highlights include Steamboat Bill Jr. from Buster Keaton. We also have The Conformist. We have Omar, the uh, Oscar-nominated film for Best Foreign Language Film from 2013. And uh, Tricked from Paul Verhoeven. So we have a lot of good stuff over at Movie this week. So once again, visit MUBI.com slash the playlist to start a special 30-day free trial. Now, on to the show. Over the line! Hello and welcome to another episode of Over Under Movies, uh, the podcast in which we discuss one overrated and one underrated movie that shares the same tone, style, plot, uh, director, or however we might see fit. I am Oktay Ege Kozak. And I'm Ryan Oliver. And in this episode, we have Ryan's picks, uh, which are uh, a duo of kind of morbid, um, absurdist comedies uh, his underrated pick is the 1982. Uh, how should we say? Should we say like cannibalism comedy? Uh, yeah, I mean, cannibalism comedy. Yeah, there's uh, a little uh, bit, but we. I don't really want to spoil that. Goofy. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But even but look at the title for like two seconds. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, it's a it's a 1982 absurdist like um, serial killer couple comedy. I guess the closest that we can get to is as Eating Raul, directed by Paul Bartel. And his overrated pick is the 2007 version, the first version of Death at a Funeral, uh, which was directed by Frank Oz. And, of course, there's also a 2010 version that we can uh, slightly get into, but this is the one that we're going to be mainly focusing on. So, um, uh, Ryan, why would you pick... Death at a Funeral as overrated and Eating Rowell as underrated. Oh, Martha, it's so good to see you. I'm so sorry, Aunt Sandra. We're going to miss Uncle Edward terribly. Thank yeah, you. He was, he was a great guy. Yes, yes he was. Thank you, Simon, this is my oh. yeah, I'm so sorry about the death. Oh, uh, oh. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Everything. Oh. Um, well, I, I was trying to, I knew I wanted to do eating Raul, uh, as an underrated for sure. And, uh, and we could definitely get into that momentarily, but I, I had a really difficult time trying to find an appropriate dark comedy to pair up as an overrated. Um, like I perused the lists of dark comedies and almost everything I came up with uh, our movies I felt were rated appropriately in terms of how we discuss on the show. I'm like, they either, you know, are hailed as really good movies and I, I agree that they are, or they're terrible movies and I agree that they're terrible movies, or they're, <laughs> you know, or they're mediocre and I agree they're mediocre. Like, it was really difficult to find a truly overrated movie 
Um, and so this might be like, I don't really like this movie very much. And I'll say that up front, but like, I don't know how well death at a funeral. Yes. Death at a funeral. But Mm -hmm. I don't know how well it's like stayed in a cultural conversation to be called overrated. But every time I did look at these lists, uh, like the of like best dark comedies or like hundred best yeah, dark comedies, whatever it pops up a lot. Uh, and usually mm-hmm. and had... I, I I remember around the time uh it came out, it had gone through this like, uh, it went through that like predictable festival hype where people just yep. overreact and overexaggerate how funny it is or how, you know that kind of thing. And um, it definitely came with a lot of hype that it was like this like the new four weddings and a funeral or something, but like darker. And um, so there was a lot of hype around it. And I think that that hype kind of um, killed it a little bit when it came out and at the box office, but it still got like really good reviews. And yeah. of course, like it made enough money for it to like warrant a um, pretty much like a shot by shot remake. It did. And it, and it made like, you know, it did well worldwide. It was a worldwide success and it did okay here. And I think, um, but but I really remember, you know, like you said, it did have that, like, festival wave, and then it was kind of tampered when it came out. But when it came out on DVD, I feel like at least pe- people who I'm close with, you know, people who I've talked with who who really, really like this movie, like, that's kind of where they caught it. And I feel like when this movie came out, it was sort of a right time, right place sort of thing uh, in terms of people's enjoyment of it. Um it had came out a couple of years after Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz came out the same year. Um, so you had these like exciting comedies that were sort of imported from Britain and uh, were coming into the States and Death of the Funeral, um, which is basically for me like a 90 minute sitcom. And, yeah. and it is that like cringe, like that cringy it's, it's, humor. It's a very, it's a very it, predictable comedy of errors. It, like a, like yes. one of those like t- theater plays where everything just goes wrong, but um, you have to kind of um, leave credibility out the door because everything that happens, all these like kind of sit- sitcom is a good analogy because like it's like the the errors that happen in it or the, the the misunderstandings and all these like wacky situations are all situations that in the real world would be solved with like a two second conversation, but of course all of that has to happen because you need to have all these like um, you know wacky dark comedy set pieces right and that's what it, it's a comedy of errors it's a very simple comedy of errors. very simple so and and uh to to just touch back on that that sitcom elements this came out in august 2007 right as the american version of the office was about to go into its fourth season mm-hmm. so that kind of cringe comedy was sort of in vogue like people were uh you know really into it like that was probably the peak of that series and it was a very popular show and i'm sure there's others i could think of but like that kind of humor seemed to be uh what people were really craving and mm-hmm. um and so this movie just and i think that the taboo-ness like you know it's a comedy of errors and it's set at a funeral and i think that taboo of just being the movie gets a lot of mileage out of its setting the fact mm-hmm. that, like like all of it revolves around uh just the fact that it's at a funeral and that's such a like yeah know, if it was a wedding it wouldn't be nearly as funny a lot well, of the stuff it, in it that's, that's, the, the point is that all this like really silly stuff happens, happens to happen at the funeral. funeral and yeah. that's you 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 almost like got to my next point uh before before i got it out but um most of the situations in this movie most of the humor like the uh 
and, and like like the drug trip and gay panic and like this sort of like sibling rivalry or friendly rival whatever i'm like none of this would be out of place in a movie like the hangover like like all this shit happened at like a like a wedding or a bachelor party movie and it just they just take the situation those situations and just apply it like you know copy paste them to it being about a funeral and and for me, like comedy, it, it's it's hard. We don't do comedies a lot on this show, um, just mm-hmm. mainly because it's it's difficult to discuss. Because you know what one person, it's it's the most subjective of any genre. Mm-hmm. But for like, I guess for me, for a farce to work like this, it, it has to do a couple things. Number one, uh, I mean, it has to be funny, which I just don't personally find this movie funny. But we, you know, we can get into that as well. But it has to. I have to either. I don't have to care about the characters, but I have to be invested in what's going on. I have to be invested mm-hmm. in the situation. I have to be invested in their plight, whether I like them mm-hmm. or not. Or uh, in the like in the case of a movie like Eating Raul, it has to be about something more than it is. Like it's got to be something that's like a satire or both. Maybe it's characters mm-hmm. that I care about and it's a satire. Uh, but. Um, but this movie just it's it's always been really dry and not like the humor, not like the humor's dry, but just like the movie is dry. Like there's not mm-hmm. much to it. And I, I do feel like if if the movie is about anything else, if it is trying to spoof, satirize, whatever you want to call it, anything, I feel like maybe it's trying to send up like British kitchen sink dramas. Like because this seems like if this wasn't a comedy and it was a drama maybe, set but there are a lot of British comedy of errors like single setting, yeah, kind of very dry humor, very like witty but like dark humor. There, there are a lot of movies like Death at a Funeral. So it's not really if it was like unusual in the way that it sent up all that stuff. But there was, you know, especially if you go back to like. TV, like a lot of the greatest British television are all send up send offs to like these self serious, like somber uh, dramas, like British dramas, like the stiff upper lip British dramas where no one talks about their feelings. And it's all like at some countryside, at some estate and shit like that. Right. Like Monty Python always made fun of that. Um, the whole reason Blackadder exists is for uh, Richard Curtis and the Rowan Atkinson and Ben Elton to like make fun of all these like historical, like self-serious historical movies and English movies and TV shows. So there's, there's, there's like a lot of, there's a huge British tradition, especially right. of like, of like this, like wacky, dry, dark comedy that like sends up, um, you know, these like very like hoity toity, uh, British drama. So in that sense, it's like, there's nothing really original there. So I didn't even like look at that as a, as a thematic option here. Totally. Um, and maybe, yeah, like I said, if, if, if it is that it doesn't do a good job of it, that was just the only reading I could think of mm-hmm. for it to be, but you're right. I mean, there, you have this complete, you know, oeuvre of these British send ups of these like, you know, stuffy period movies, these kitchen sink movies. So yeah, there's just the, this one doesn't add much to that. Um, that conversation and and yeah it's a shame it's it's got it becomes it becomes about how well the set pieces work and that this is where like i want to bring up kind of well first of all let me say that like it sounds like i don't like this movie either but i kind of i like it just fine it's uh it's it has some like really amusing funny enough pockets here and there pretty much none of which have anything to do with the you know the the overall 
character arc or the plot that we're supposed to care about about these two rival brothers mm-hmm. one of them's a successful writer the other one is not and wants to be a writer and they they kind of like dive into this like rivalry between them and how much like each one of them loved their father and all that stuff like because of the the writing is so flat and the performances aren't very good like i just i don't care about that like main plot thread Me neither. but there there are a lot of like really funny like characters and set pieces in it and a, and a, and a comedy of errors like this where everything every single bit and every single joke is kind of like doesn't really have a lot of credibility in real life where this is that's the point of a comedy of errors you just have to like jump through so many hoops to get people in these like completely crazy situations like for example the uh the woman who brings her boyfriend played by alan tudyk like the second they would figure out like oh shit you accidentally took some like heavy dose of acid Mm -hmm. they'd be like okay you're gonna leave right now and we'll figure out like an excuse for you to say that why you're not at the funeral right like someone in that situation you wouldn't be like okay let's ride this out it's so obvious that that the only reason the characters say let's ride this out is because Things are gonna get wacky, and he's yeah, gonna get naked and run on a, the. Because it's a yeah. movie, and it needs. It's to a happen. movie, and it's, it has to happen. <laughs> the whole situation with Peter Dinklage is like, they're like, okay, let let I'll give you like hundred pounds now or something, but we'll figure this out later. Like I promise. Like just pay your respects and leave. But of course, like everything has to happen in that moment, and then they have to give him more of that acid, and yeah. like uh, he has to bang his head so they think he's dead and all that stuff. It's just like every single step is. Like it fits into the whole comedy of errors thing, but like when it comes to when you're dealing with that genre, really all that ma- like the quality of the performances takes such a front step that like if the performances aren't there, then the um the bits are gonna fail because they have absolutely no like real life credibility with it. Like there's no point in which you're like, oh, I could see this actually happening. So it's about like how much these performances can sell the craziness and the zaniness of the situation. And in some cases, like the two brothers are, I think, miscast. They're too straightforwardly dramatic. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you cast the guy like, from Pride and Prejudice. like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But like um, uh, Peter Dinklage is great in yes, both it's fantastic. movies. Um, Fucking, uh, oh, my God, what's this? Peter Wan is amazing in this the the old cranky uncle yes he's, he's like he's every good. single time he pops up you're just like it's it's hilarious there's like so what i do with these like especially both versions of death at a funeral which are almost like shot by shot at at after a while you just get to a point where just like okay my enjoyment of either one of these is gonna completely stand on how many performances are great how many are mediocre and how many are bad right and that's part of the reason why I prefer the 2010 version because it has a couple more great performances over the 2007 version. Like I love that like the uh, the old cranky man uh, character doesn't really get like a really good comedy character to play off of. And in the in the 2010 version, that's Danny Glover and uh, Tracy Morgan, and well, their their banter good. is fucking hilarious uh so there's like that good and daniel glover no not dan um danny glover and um peter vaughn like they're both like the stars of both versions playing the same character and um i just want to see like peter vaughn is like 95 now so he's 
on his way out. But I would love to see like a remake of like Grumpy Old Men starring those two. <laughs> that, would be, that would be fantastic. Um, I have to admit, I have not seen the 2010. Oh, you uh, have? Remake. Okay. It's, it's slightly better. It's the exact same script. The that's exact what, I, same thing's that's happened. what I've heard. And um, I, I find you, it. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't want to. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and you kind of compare them together. Like, you know, like the Alan Tudyk performance is way better than uh, James Marsden, for example. So it's just like there's like a not a great script, but at least like there's like a great kind of zany, batshit, crazy, dark comedy between these two movies. If you like smoosh together all the great performances in it, take the good parts and strip all the bad ones. I do find it a little ironic, at least in in terms of the uh, 2010 one, and and I haven't seen it. I just I'm basing solely on the trailer I saw which looked incredibly broad, which, I mean, this one was already super broad anyway, so it was, mm-hmm. you know, it made sense. Though I find it ironic that the person who could make this material really, like, fucking heartbreakingly dark and humorous, Neil LeBute, directed that <laughs> uh, remake. Yeah, it's it's not. <laughs> it's, it's so much more broader and so much more mainstream than the 2007 version. I mean, it's like a really kind of out there, crazy, like, totally. uh, like you said, but you like said like you, the, but like the you, hangover, like you mentioned the hangover, like it's like it's so much more like the hangover than the 2007 version. Right, but imagine the, the same material by Neil LeBute, but it's like yeah. your friends and neighbors, like Neil LeBute, not uh, Wicker Man Neil LeBute. And then well, you, like, Neil, Neil LeBute was was obviously at this point he's like the the kind of castrated, yeah. gone for hire, castrated Neil LeBute because he's been through so much, so many like total failures and people totally. accusing him being a misogynist and all that i I feel like this is one of those situations where i feel like he just needed the money oh i agree (laughs) with that it just it It has it has absolutely none none of his like um touches in it yeah i figured Uh, i figured that was the case but um yeah i i just i i think for me like you know it's yeah like you said it's a comedy of errors you know you kind of you kind of know what you sign up for getting into it but i i guess you maybe for for my sensibility i i don't know and and like i said a lot of the jokes like you said the hangover it would not feel out of place in a movie like that the only Mm -hmm. difference is that it's set at a funeral but none of the none of the humor stems from like the idea of death or like any of Mm -hmm. the facing anything which is like it's location it's it's, it's exactly location where if we just pivot slightly to eating raul um Mm -hmm. you know a movie that most of its humor does stem from death. Like it's cartoonish and, and supposed to be a, uh, you know, sort of like send up of Reagan era values, but Hey, like, but it works on that level. Um, Like it's kind of shocking to me that like, I was just looking at the IMDb pages right now. And I, I honestly, like, even though now that I think back on it, it has a lot of curse words and stuff. I honestly thought death at the funeral was PG 13. It really like, and then I looked at it, it's like tame. it's like, it is, it, and especially uh, considering like how much of an edgy, <clears throat> dark comedy it attempts to be, especially like watching it back to back with Eating Raul, it's like it's kind of shocking to me that both these films are rated R, even though um, Eating Raul goes to places that are far edgier and far um, more disturbing yet hilarious. 
Well, eating um, raw keeps finding its line and then just slowly stepping over it, like slowly, 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 until yeah, yeah. By, by the time you get to the very end, you're like, yeah, of course, that's what happened. Like, what, <laughs> yeah, like, you don't know what you you you've expected at that point, but so um, yeah, let's let's slowly like uh, pivot to that a little bit. Why did you? So, what made you think of eating Raul as an underrated? Um... What do you want? <clears throat> I'd like a vibrator, please. Pair of handcuffs. Hey, get him out of here. He's not 18. Hey, man, come on. I'm 18. Get him out of here. Come on. Give me the magazine Let's back. Let's go out of the store. Shit. Yeah. Ring. You know what? Cock ring. Oh, cock ring. What size? Hey, get the latest issue of Nuns and Nazis. Tuesday. What size? Uh, medium, I suppose. Is it for you? Medium will be fine. Well, I just think it's uh, – and it's weird because the movie, like and, – and we've drawn a lot from the Criterion Collection, admittedly, <laughs> and, and the, this movie is. But even even that, I just feel like as far as, like, dark – both dark comedies but also comedies that uh, – like the, these sort of, like, satires, these very in-your-face, broad but, like, hilarious satires uh, that came out in the 80s um, – I just feel like this movie still gets a little lost in the shuffle. Like I don't, I don't mm-hmm. feel it's like, it's not talked in. And I was kind of thinking about this, um, you know, watching the movie again, that the, the, and part of the reason I like it so much is that it, it reminds me of the things that I love about John Waters movies, but, none, mm-hmm. but none of the things that I don't like about John Waters movies, like the best, mm-hmm. the best John Waters movies have an aim like polyester serial mom. Like they're, they're not like a, Scott shotgun scatter shot like we talked about um pink uh, flamingos, flamingos and that's yeah. like a gonzo all over the place right no you, you watch it and you're like i appreciate of... you trying to gross out everybody who ever watches this but i'm also kind of slightly bored by this whereas um yeah like you understand without it a lot of other like great envelope pushing stuff wouldn't exist exactly so you appreciate it on that end but then but it doesn't get to hold. the point where just like at this point it doesn't hold any real yeah it's just a kind of exhausting uh, entertainment value yeah it is point. yeah so yeah. so you get a movie like eating raul and i don't want to talk too much i don't want to talk too much about john waters because i don't want to like overwrite what mm-hmm. paul bartell does because it's it is his own you know sort of thing here mm-hmm. but yeah but what i love about this movie is it encapsulates a feeling you know it's very much of of its it's time, but also still pretty relevant in the way that this couple and a lot of people do this, you know, justify their own self righteousness righteousness by like what their end goal is. Like they're sort of like, no matter what I do on the path to get to this thing, this thing I want to do is good and we're doing this good mm-hmm. thing. And so if we take some bad steps on the way, like, I'll be forget. Like, it's a mentality I think a lot of people have. And so this takes that idea, that idea of just, like, I'm doing this, you know, just, like, so I guess for people who haven't seen the movie, a little bit about the plot. Pretty milk-a-toast uh, couple played by Paul Bartel, the director, and Mary Warrenoff. Their names are the Blands. Like, this is the mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> amount of subtlety we're dealing oh, with. Oh, this is not a, movie. yeah, exactly. It's not a subtle movie, uh, yeah. which it works in its benefit, but no, it is Brilliantly not a Brilliantly so, movie. yeah. Um, and so they're they're the Blands. Uh, they want to open a restaurant. She's a nurse at a hospital. He's working at a grocery store, but he gets fired for being a wine snob. Um, mm-hmm. He's a wine. Yeah, he, he, he won't sell like cheap wine to people. Yeah, absolutely. He's like, oh no, don't don't buy this wine. Like he he just will refuse to do it. So yeah. they're they're trying to save up for a restaurant. Their rents being raised. They're they're struggling. And on top of that, you know, in 
80s excess fashion they're sick of the the scum the the people who mm-hmm. just everybody is fucking everybody and <laughs> literally the and, depiction of la in this film is my favorite oh, thing it's ever. so great yeah. uh and yeah. so i just i was just in la last week so it just it it added it's a like, whole nother this, level it's like, yeah it's like conservative <laughs> fever nightmare or it's like it's it almost you know you know what it like that one of the things that I really enjoy about this film, and and you know, it's like like you said, it, it's this is this is a movie. Even though I'm like, you know, just we're all you and I are like kind of drenched in this like the nerd film culture, where like you hear about movies that the general audience has never even heard about. Even in this kind of a, a social setting, like this is one of the movies that I maybe heard about like two or three times. And and then I saw the Criterion Collection version coming out, and I was just like, oh, I should check this out sometime. And um, and yeah, it's 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 weird that it's not, you know, I don't think it's a it's a masterpiece or anything by any means. No, me and I don't think, I don't I don't think it has any kind of pretensions to be a great film at all. I mean, part of the fun of it is that they were so obviously not trying to make like a, a, a semi self serious or any kind of movie with any kind of dramatic credibility in any way no, not it's and, so and, unabashed in how yeah, it presents itself which is yeah like the complete opposite of death and funeral because it had yeah. like you know we, yeah. we talk about that brother storyline it tries to have that dramatic credibility mm-hmm. and it fails and it's not that thing and also don't it has that it has that big like emotional eulogy at the end right. where uh, you know it tries to kind of like do a uh tearjerker a little bit and get to the heartstrings a little bit while also being crazy and funny this movie has no intentions of uh <laughs> accessing your your like kind of emotional parts like Not i mean if all. you kind of if you like kind of get emotional and cry at this movie i would like think about having you committed maybe <laughs> oh absolutely yeah this movie this movie makes no bones about what kind of movie it is and and i i yeah. love it for that and so um just back on track the plot briefly yeah they're si- they're sick of just just the the scum of LA uh and so they start uh they start a business where uh Mrs. Bland is essentially a dominatrix or or a fetishist of some sort like what it basically they take out an ad in the pa- in the paper so men will But it's call... not like she wants to it's like no, they, no, they no, both no, no. hate like that kind of like sexual like quote-unquote deviancy what they consider to be sexual deviancy there's this there's this great line that i like laughed out loud where they talk about like oh all these swingers all these people who just like go to parties and fuck each other they're all just they're all sick and the the woman um uh, mary warner's character the nurse says something like well i'm 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 all about like I'm fine with like a little bit of hugging and kissing every now and then, but this is too much. And I'm like, that's such a brilliant line because like you get to know like where the, those people's like sexual experiences, like, well, where they talk about like 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 kissing and hugging as being something that's like sexual and naughty. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, you get you get that sense when they first go to bed and they have separate twin beds like they don't even yeah so it, it, it sends up that like 50s 60s 50s like family father knows best sitcom type right, like they're still stuck it. in that yeah they're stuck in that like leave it to beaver sort it's of almost like, like yeah. idyllic uh white picket it, fence culture but they're in the yeah, center yeah. of 80s it, it's almost LA. like the, uh it's almost like the what happens in the brady bunch movie where like these people from a 70s sitcom like it's almost like they're from like a 50s sitcom and somehow found themselves in like early right. 80s 
Yeah, like, that's a good comparison. It, that's actually. that's kind of how they act. Like as if they just like it's like reverse Pleasantville. Like they came out of Pleasantville into like from like a suburban fifties Americana, like father knows best type of like TV show, right? Into like this like fever nightmare debauchery of like like completely unrealistic and over the top depiction of um of LA and uh, yeah, but but go go ahead and like. Uh, Go a little bit into the more into the plot, and then we can um, I can discuss like all that those like tonal touches as well. We can Absol- discuss absolutely. So they take they take a full page ad out in the paper. It's gonna you know it's a dominatrix business. So the these deviant men will call and then come to the house, and you know she could be whatever sort of uh, fantasy they desire. But the idea is that they're gonna scam people out of the money. If the guys get too handsy, they kill them and take their money. That's basically. <laughs> That's basically the plot of the movie, uh, and then we and get... every everybody dies with a single hit of a frying pan. Yeah, they're not like <laughs> that's like the frying pan is and, the and, most and, lethal weapon in the world. And it has like a Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes, uh, like Bong. Foley effect. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Every time, <laughs> and it made me laugh every single time it happens. It's so effective. And then we, you know, there's a subplot involving the titular Raúl, who's the locksmith. Um, who changed the locks on their house, but he's also running his con job on the side. So, you know, without really getting into details for people who haven't seen it, they essentially are in business together. The Blands and Raul, mm-hmm. like, they'll help him do his con job. They'll help them, uh, he'll help them do theirs, you know, without Scott Free. But then it gets into paranoia, gets into mm-hmm. some, like, you know, unsubtle touches about, like, relationships with minorities like it gets it gets like it gets like it's a pretty astute like uh, again unsubtle but it's a pretty astute social satire like i feel like oh, that yeah. portion still like really really holds up in this movie all, all it is all it it does this like kind of sticking it to um hyper paranoid like prejudiced uh super conservative crowd like it's this is the kind of movie that like what i love about it, especially the first half i love a little bit more than the second half which i think the, the whole thing is hilarious anyway but um what i really appreciated about like the first like 30 40 minutes of it is that it almost works as if um as if a parody of like the kind of like scared straight uh conservative films against like 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 reefer madness or something where it's like the the thing that they're railing against the depiction of that thing is exaggerated to a point of hilarity like in like in reefer madness they don't show you what actually happens to you when you smoke weed they show you like um you take one toke and you become insane right and you're just like you're running around and you like jump out of windows and like all this like crazy shit happens and and you know one of my fa- my favorite part of uh, do you know that uh, the Amazon Women on the Moon it's, it was kind of like the Kentucky Fried movie oh it like yeah a, it was like a series of sketches it was like a series of skits and the best thing in that movie by a long shot is the the skit the skit that uh, Joe Dante directed of course it's Joe Dante oh Leave yeah him to we're, understand we're, we're a massive, that kind massive of culture. fans of Joe Dante yeah. here on this yeah. podcast yeah. <laughs> yeah he's a he's a over under favorite as the one of the most underrated directors that we always bring up uh, but yeah there's this like one little skit with Carrie Fisher where it's supposed to be like that like kind of after school special about like how bad drinking and driving is so they they're trying to depict like it's like and it has that like perfect look of like 
shitty black and white, like bunch of scratches on the film print and like, like super obvious real changes and stuff like that. And, uh, but like the whole thing is about like how Carrie Fisher's character is just like, was called like, you know, his, his, his boyfriend wants to party and they take him to like party places where they, they drink and like, but the depiction of those things are like, like the, like it's like these people are deviant they're monsters like they're literally become monsters like there's one part where um one of the kids like drinks alcohol and literally turns into a werewolf like there's not not even like subtle like you should, you should look that up like i think it's that it's at I'll the very it end of, yeah it's at the very end of amazon women on the moon but i'm sure you can like find it on youtube it's hilarious um but it kind of reminds me of something like that like it's almost like a send-off to how this kind of like fear mongering conservative oh, after school yeah. special film would be made about like LA culture. Oh, big time. You know, like, like every, every, like, especially these parties. That everyone they is a rapist. Every, yeah, every guy is a rapist. They immediately, if they see a woman in sight, they're like immediate rape monster. If it's a woman, she's immediately just like taking her clothes off. It, it's just like, it is the most, yeah, absurdly over the top version of, of that yeah like you said like yeah every guy who comes to their apartment like you know they're like oh we'll, we'll only kill them if they get too handsy yeah every single one does. every single one of them do that. <laughs> but not, not not even like handsy in a way that like a, like a jerk touching a stripper in a strip club or something yeah, when just it's like, full, on like aggression. full on rape like they straight up go for the rape <laughs> like not even like a little bit of like hey let me you know there's just one guy who's just like yeah, it's like a zero like to sixty maybe, switch. It just yeah. yeah. There's this one guy for like maybe five ten seconds. He's like, "Hey, baby, let's make out and see where this goes." Everybody else is like, like immediately jumps on her, and like that's the the kind of thing that. And it's not even like it still feels relevant and fresh in a way because those kinds of stereotypes, in a way, it of course exaggerates, it satirizes those kinds of stereotypes that the the um like the kind of rural conservative uh super christian crowd like are like super religious or no you don't have, even have to be religious there are a lot of stupid people who think stuff like that who who, who pre who have that those prejudices and those kinds of images of like what like coastal city life the liberal coastal city life must be like right. and you still see that like you even you know 35 years after this movie was made um still you see like i put on fox news and they talk about like how the quote-unquote San Francisco, the coastal culture and how deviant and like everybody's just like having sex with everybody and like you still see that and like some of the touches in it, some of the satirical touches could still work in a movie that would come out today. Like like the fact that these characters are basically completely um, putting like all these like quote-unquote sexual deviancy that they hate into just being a gay person. Like right. they talk about like there's this one moment where they talk about like oh it's all the same thing like like homosexuals and swingers and deviants or whatever like it's just like they all they're all like they're all sick they're all monsters and like that's the kind of thing that like that's not that far removed from uh conservatives or people who still think there there's no this difference between like a gay person and like a pedophile right you know when when there's absolutely no like it just comes from a place of fear and prejudice and it does such an amazing job of like sending that up. And um, that's why I feel like even though the film, it looks it's it was a low budget film mm -hmm. and it shows its time and place. It definitely looks feels dated, which is part of its charm. 
but at the same time, there's so much of the satire is still so relevant because of that, like, kind of unjustified, like, hypersensitive uh, demonization of anyone who might have, like, an open mind about sexuality or, like, anyone who's just, who just understands, like, how that stuff can be more fluid and uh, more based on the individual. And it's so, so, like, the way that it, like, touches on that stuff, it turns it into, like, okay, that's the kind of, uh, like, movie, like, if the filmmaker, if the people who made, like, Reefer of Madness, for example, made a movie about, like, early 80s, like, L.A. swinger culture, this is the kind of, like, um, like, super exaggerated uh, kind of depiction that they would go for, I think. No, I I definitely agree. And, and yeah, I'm impressed. And that's, and that's sort of why... I wanted to bring it up uh, on this episode mainly because it just I I think it does hold up incredibly well uh, in terms of its messages, as you you know, brilliantly laid out it. It uh, it definitely shows its age, but that's that's not a bad thing. Um, This was a I mean, this I I I don't know if it was snatched up by Fox, but 20th Century Fox released this movie (laughs) into theaters, which really surprised, which is really yeah, which is really, really shocking. So so it was a you know, I don't know if mainstream movies the right word but, but like a studio put it out there so it's it's this was also at a time when it's like which i hope that someday we'll return to that where studios would have like very separate tiers of you know they would have the big budget stuff they would have the middle budget stuff they would even have like fairly low budget stuff that they would just like release as like the second part of a double feature or something and then that's the kind of stuff that sometimes becomes like cult favorites or mm-hmm. finds a second life. But a lot of studios used to do that. And um, I mean, that was the way everything worked when, um, especially in, during the studio system where they also own the theaters. Um, that's where the term B movie comes from. Those B movies weren't, they, they were also made by the studio that made the A movies. Uh, it's just that they, they had a way of like putting those into different tiers and categories Right and release and they release them knowingly in that way. So it's like, but yeah, today I feel like a movie like this would get picked up by like maybe like a twenty four or something, but not <laughs> maybe. And then yeah, and then just kind of end up on VOD somewhere. So um, yeah, unless unless you, unless you put Jennifer Lawrence in it, then they'll release anything. It seems like yeah, they'll put. <laughs> yeah, twenty five hundred screens. All right, uh, this movie's a little intense. It's got Jennifer Lawrence in it. Twenty five hundred. Sc- okay, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, just, I I do. I do think this is a fascinating movie. I think it's a really funny movie. I do think it's a gem. Uh, I think you also said it too. I I don't think this movie is a masterpiece by any sense of the word. But I do think when people talk about like really good dark comedies and like dark satires. This one just doesn't really get brought up a whole lot. So, you know, you, you have your usual yeah, suspects, you know, you have your, or, I mean, not literally the usual suspects, but, mm-hmm. like, but you have like, you know, Fargo gets brought up a lot, of course, and, you know, it's a mm-hmm. masterpiece. So why wouldn't it? But, you know, but like, but like even in this like super satirical tone where it's, where it's almost like fits into like a parody of this type of approach, like, you know, of course you have a lot of the, uh, the John Waters stuff. Right. Uh, even recently you have like, the um you know this is like kind of turning into like kind of a cult movie even though it kind of failed at the box office but you have like stuff like casa de mi padre or something where it's like it does a like this brilliant send-off to like a little known type of genre and just creates this really like it's like a it's like a mix between 
an after school special and like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Like it even has those, like you said, the sound uh, effects, the Looney Tunes sound effects. It has those like Iris in and out, like the Dead Soul folks type of things. Absolutely. And like, yes. it has a very, and the colors are very cartoony. Yeah, it's, um, it's a live action cartoon, but it, yeah. but it's, but it is at the service of something a little bit deeper, which is just, which yeah. is just hits me in a spot that, that I enjoy, like I enjoy. Cause I, I like things that are like, that can be broadly funny, but it, it is about a lot more than just it's uh it's setting like, like death at a funeral. Um, so no, I think, I think it's a worthwhile movie. I think it's worth seeking out. Like we said, it's on the criterion collection. Um, I guess we didn't really like talk too much about the performances in the movie. Um, yeah. I think they're pretty great all around bar, Parbel Parbel tell Jesus, Paul Bartel and Mary Warren are great. Uh, Rob Beltran is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, he's great. Paul, Paul Bartel, especially like talk about like, uh, some of the great, like deadpan, oh, God. Uh, he, he, deliveries. He, uh, he, I wonder if Brett Gilman like bases his whole, like, I'm sure off, like off this guy Bartel. must've like inspired so many of those kinds of like, just, he never breaks. Like no. they're even like in like the situations where it's like, you know, he kill he kills like 20 swingers in like, in like five seconds. And then his reaction is just like, all right, let's get to it then. Like, it's, it's just like, there's no way where he's like, he's this, this type of like sociopath where, but at the same time, he does also where he doesn't like even phase a little bit at the, you know, he, he, de- he dehumanizes the, the LA swingers, like those deviants mm-hmm. so much that like killing like 20 or 30 of them at once is like does nothing to him yeah like he never like breaks his character but at the same time he doesn't also come across as like like he comes across he tries to at least comes like they both try to come across as like um very kind of loving family oriented people so they don't they don't act like psychopaths they don't act like um like Mickey and Mallory in Natural Born Killers, for example, right? Where yeah, yeah. where they just they just enjoy killing people. They 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 have a very like kind of milk toast. Exactly. Um, They're doing it for motivation. Their for, goal. Like we want to yeah. open up our own restaurant. Absolutely. Like, we, the, like the the what I love about it, as far as like on a, on a screenwriting um, perspective, they put really kind of instantly relatable like almost like the kind of motivations and goals a character would have in like like a uh like an inspirational romantic comedy or something like a pg rated movie it's Absolutely. like oh these characters are trying to like bring themselves up from it's the american dream they want to bring themselves up from the ground up and they're a loving couple and all they want to do is just like bring up like enough money to uh like you can imagine like fucking I don't know, Jennifer Aniston or Sandra Bullock in the late nineties, making a movie like this. Um, they just want to make the money like, uh, to, to open their, their dream is to open up a restaurant. So it it has all those like very typical, um, uh, plot approaches, very Mm -hmm. typical character arc that, you know, uh, screenwriters use, uh, sometimes mostly a lot of the times very cynic in a very cynical way to garner, uh, to just extract like some easy sympathy from the audience. Right. And that's, what's so perfect is this movie juxtaposes that idea that just like, we want, we want to create our best life possible. 
and we're gonna you know that that idea of just like you know you work hard and you put your blood sweat and tears into it and everything will come true and they do that it's just what they put their blood sweat and tears into is killing people so that's just Mm -hmm. like the perfect i don't know it's It's killing i mean they're they're cartoon characters who also kill cartoon characters so it's like yes it never becomes um gross or disturbing even though it becomes like really dark and like they're willy-nilly um, killing people. But but because everybody is a cartoon character, it never becomes... I feel like, um, even though like we talked about this at length and we shouldn't really get into it again, but um, I feel like in your case, at least, because I actually like really still enjoy that movie, um, I feel like the first Kingsman would have been a nice... I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> over, overrated for this, because they're both like super R-rated, crass... Um, uh cartoons for adults sure and, but my my but, my issue with kingsman and yeah i guess you know you did open a can of worms just slightly we don't have to get into <laughs> it too much you could listen to our year-end episode i think from 2015 talked about the overrated yeah. and I, I go on like a five minute rant of why i utterly despise mm-hmm. that movie but uh for me that movie just it's it, that movie's the way it carries itself because it's so self-satisfied with the way Mm. it goes about it and and it it really like comes down it feels like that movie doesn't really have a point of view though like to me like i get i get where there's enjoyment to be gleaned from it in terms no no it it has it has as much of a point of view as a shitty saturday morning cartoon but i just i just just enjoy that like that kind of aesthetic is used for something like this ridiculously over the top and oh, I agree. violent but, but like you know like the old like the villain of that movie for example his whole thing was about like environmentalism and climate change and so it's like kind of shitting on this like uber it's like, the it's the, it's, the dr- it's the drug war in the second one it, that's what i heard about i'm yeah. not even gonna give that movie a chance but uh <laughs> it, it just yeah like i said that movie just doesn't have a point of view but it's so in love with everything it does whereas this movie it has a mm-hmm. point of view and there's no there's no real pretension to this movie. Like it it is an R-rated Looney Tune for adults, but like I said, it has a point of view, and you can tell it was made by somebody who had a point of view and had their vision for their movie, mm-hmm. and they made their movie on three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Looks like according to IMDb. Um, yeah, that's really impressive. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's it's you know it's rough around the edges, and you could see it um, for sure. But it's it's definitely not a it's a it's a very like niche it ha- it should it i would imagine this like with us like kind of recommending it like but it also should tread also kind of comes with tread lightly yeah it should it should also like it's one of those films that should also come with like an asterisk because of like okay like so first of all don't expect this to be like a genuine horror movie like if you hear about this oh it's this like you know even if even as a dark comedy you know you brought up like fargo you can even bring up blood simple in some ways um it's not that it's not it's not the kind where it's just like you're genuinely horrified at certain moments like there isn't a single moment in this that's not a cartoon oh absolutely um at the same time if you're into like the hangover like goofy comedies like that it's a little bit more it's not not a little bit it's a lot more sophisticated than that so if you're just looking forward to like a bunch of like kind of gross out gags and so it's just like that kind of like middle ground of like yeah like for example if you enjoy john waters if you're a i feel like another like good overrated pick for this would have been um beyond the valley of the dolls like a lot of people love that movie and like it has that same kind of approach to that same kind of tone where it takes like a 
like an overwrought melodrama mm-hmm. and turns it into this like crazy 60s LSD trip. But um, that movie, I feel like, lacks the focus and um, thematic drive that Eating Raul has. And but that's what it I... has... And that's it has a very similar tone. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that would have been a good pick uh, as well. Um, it, I just didn't even really think about it. Um, have, you, have you seen it? I have seen it, yes. Mm. Um, but I didn't. it didn't even come to my mind. For Which I don't I think mean. it's a bad movie, but I think people kind of exaggerate how, like, how influential. And I, it's influ- it influences aside. Like, I, I understand the influence. Mm-hmm. But, like, how, like, great it is in that kind of, like, playful colorful crazy satire melodrama type of genre which um... i didn't remember enough about the movie to like confidently like call it an overrated um or anything or i didn't feel strongly one way or the other and i guess like looking through these lists when i saw death and funeral on a bunch of them like really that movie people like still talk about that movie (laughs) so that's uh that's where that stemmed from um but yeah, back to your point too about um, yeah, if you're looking for something along the lines of like The Hangover, it, it is a little more sophisticated. I, I wanted to borrow a line from our uh, from friend of the show and our former co-host uh, Eric McClanahan that uh, this is like a merging of like the high and the low, like low brow mm-hmm. low brow humor but high brow concept, and mm-hmm. that melding just really clicks with this movie, and it's really focused. Uh, it's really funny. It its aim is like yeah, you know, it trait it. it Whereas, like, I like some of John Waters' stuff, as I mentioned, but, like, this movie, it trades in a shotgun for a rifle, essentially. <laughs> instead, of mm-hmm. go, instead of being scattershot, like, this movie, yeah. it hits its targets that it's... Uh, yeah, it was, if, if you're a fan of Russ Meyer, um, John Waters, uh, you know, like, there's a lot of, like, the honeymoon killers in this. Um, so it's, like, like, that kind of tone, that kind of, like, kind of intentionally gaudy, over-the-top cartoonish approach to, like, some really kind of icky material yeah totally uh this is one that like yeah i mean i'm in i'm into that stuff and this has completely went over my radar so um yeah this is that's that's the kind of audience that i would definitely recommend this to absolutely well i'm glad or or any anyone who's like open to like seeing something original and offbeat like genuinely absolutely and um yeah absolutely i'm glad you're right there uh, with me on this one, and uh, I know we're we're starting to wrap up here, but just really mm-hmm. quick before we we start, uh, you know, doing our plugs and whatnot, should, should we mention the bizarre cameo that these lead characters make in shopping shopping mall? mall? <laughs> <laughs> Which I did because I I had I hadn't seen this movie because I didn't know who they were, and then um, I looked up the trivia and I was just like, oh yeah, those two, oh they were the same characters. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's in that's shopping hilarious. mall. They're even like like Paul, uh, Paul Bartel's even like we should get those for the restaurants. Get rid of the customers. Yeah, yeah. So they're like they're characters. Like it's yeah. it's why? I yeah. It <laughs> does it doesn't make any sound. So like did did uh, Roger Corman have anything to do with this movie? Like it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't make. Even, that, even if it had anything to do, like Chopping Mall is such a different movie. Like oh, it yeah. has no. It's 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 I guess you could say it's it's it has self-aware moments, but it's not the the enjoyment value of that movie is like how unintentionally hilarious like, it is, hilarious yeah. it can become. Yeah. It's a good piece of like eighties like, horror cinema, schlock, yeah, yeah, or, of, yeah. Of trash cinema. But like, it's nothing more or less than that. And then you have this movie that's like, yeah, this is a low budget, you know, 
potentially you know sort of culty movie but like you know but it's but it's got some prestige to it uh you know, at it's, least it's like, now yeah. like it being yeah, in the yeah. criterion collection so it's just like why are they in this movie <laughs> it's amusing nonetheless like, like, it's but... like it's like if uh it's like if jane silent bob showed up in a scream movie it, it would be that stupid you oh know? shots fired <laughs> shots fired oh man <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, that that's 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 ridiculous. So if you're a fan of Chopping Mall, which me and Ryan are because we just love we like trash, trash cinema, yeah, and you should, yeah, it's 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 like a funny bit of trivia. That's that's hilarious that they like showed up there. It makes me want to watch revisit Chopping Mall just for that. You should. Uh, and the you know, of course, it has Dick Miller in it, who's like a oh yeah, uh, because of his connection with Joe Dante, especially like a over under movies Hall of Famer. Yeah. Uh, whenever he's in a movie that we discuss, we have to bring him up. Yes. Um, even, even if it's in a six degrees of Kevin Bacon way, like it is. With yeah, this movie. exactly. Like it's like you just jump through many hoops just to bring up Dick Miller because the because he's guys awesome. Are, he's awesome. Yes. Um, but yeah, and, and another uh, right. Uh, so if we're kind of wrapping up, do you want to mention like uh, clear out like a little um, uh, kind of besmirching of your. uh uh Ah uh, shit! I was trying to talk in like some kind of like Victorian thing or yeah, whatever, you, you but fucked, like something about that up, we, but I... I fucked it up. Whatever. <laughs> something something we said uh, in the last episode because you couldn't join us. Like, do you want to just clear that up so that people don't like get on your ass about it? Oh, that's right. Okay, so on the last episode, I forgot we were going to mention this at the top. That's okay. We're a little scatterbrained. It's been a while since we've done this. Bear yeah. with us. Uh, so the, the last episode that I was not a part of, uh, which I which I would have liked to been, but you know, real life gets in the way um that uh you had you and andy on and you mentioned at the top of the episode that i did not join the episode because i don't like musicals i was your quote so i just want to clear the air that is not true uh i'm very particular of the kind of musicals i like i'm not a fan of movies that sing the entire like every line of dialogue is sung so there was definitely a barrier when i watched the umbrellas of Cherbourg, which i did watch in prep for the episode that i wasn't on um and that was a situation and we just talked about this off mic that was a it's not you it's me to the movie mm-hmm. like when it ended i'm just like it's not you umbrellas like it's it's me that's on me it's just not my thing you did mm. you did your thing <laughs> you're good um <laughs> but it's it's i just it's, you know, it's a personal thing but yeah personal I, thing. I get it but and 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 for for the record like i don't like me personally, I don't like shitty movies where the whole thing is synced through. So uh, that's fair. Like 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 Limes, <laughs> for example. Yeah, I did. Oh boy, I did screen that movie. That was uh, that was a rough one, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, Umbrellas yeah. definitely got gave me more than that. Um, but yeah, just wanted to clear the air. I do like musicals. I'm just you know like every genre. There's ones I like. There's ones I don't. It's yeah. it happens. But I'm not dismissive as a whole. Yeah, so so we we uh, so that we uh, cleared that out and uh, cleared out your cleared your reputation uh, <laughs> as it relates to uh, musicals. Uh, let's try to let's start to wind down this episode. Um, uh, as always, thank you so much for listening to a new episode of Over Under Movies. Uh, we want to thank, of course, our editor in chief Rodrigo Perez and theplaylist.net. Um, you can reach new episodes of Over Under Movies and also other playlist podcasts like the the actual the straight playlist podcast that ryan uh usually appears on 
check out the the Twin Peaks episode where they discuss uh, the finale of the Twin Peaks with uh, what Brian discusses with um, Rodrigo Perez. If you're if you're really into Twin Peaks, that's a great episode. But we also have uh, Bingeworthy, uh, Adjust Your Tracking, and a bunch of other shows. So check you can check those out at the podcast section of theplaylist.net. And you can also check those out on the playlist uh, uh, iTunes feed. And I think we're on Stitcher. So you can check that out there and SoundCloud as well. Uh, as far as specifically Over Under Movies is concerned, uh, you can like us on Facebook on uh, at facebook.com slash Over Under Movies. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Over Under Movies. Um, the, uh, the, to tease the next episode... Uh, we don't have the picks yet, but we're going to have another one of our um, guest spot episodes where um, a guest comes in and we discuss their picks. Uh, and this time around, it's going to be um, music uh, journalist and also film journalist and DJ uh, uh, Bob Ham, uh, Portland's very own, who's going to be um, gracing us with his picks we don't know what they are yet he's still thinking about them uh so we'll we'll find out when that episode shows up so look forward to that but uh signing off for now this is oktaege kozak i'm a contributor and film critic for uh the playlist paste magazine uh dvd talk and bayaspire.com and signing off is ryan oliver uh i'm the host and editor of this podcast or co-host and editor of this podcast and you could also find me on the playlist podcast and uh writing for the playlist as well and i gotta say octa you are killing it with the end of show plugs like just boom 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 you just, just <laughs> you killed it man it's just gotta gotta give you yeah. props <laughs> I think finally after what sixty episodes, I should start getting like, get slightly to, better at it. Yeah, close to seventy, I think at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.